Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're grateful tonight for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the opportunity we have to close out the Lord's Day. We thank you for your Word, the beauty of it that conveys to us the person of an even more beautiful Son. And so we thank you for the opportunity we have to learn of you this evening. And we pray, Father, that you would move in our hearts to bring us closer to you. Father, we ask that uh, you would abide and be with uh, our children as they're preparing for program here in just a few weeks, and then our youth as they continue to study the Word. It's good to be back in your house again tonight. We pray that you would open and illuminate our hearts to what we're about to learn here in Exodus chapter 7. Our prayer is that you would abide and be with those that uh, have been brought to our attention, those that we have been praying for, many for some, for some length of time. We do lift them up and ask that you would intervene on, behalf, on their behalf this evening. Hear and answer our prayer as only you can. In Jesus' name, we do make this prayer. Amen. All right, we're back in Exodus chapter 7 tonight, so turn with me there if you would. <clears throat> go to the next slide, brother. I know I told you to start here, but we will go to the next slide. There you go. So we are covering the... Uh, the first plague, which begins in verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you shall stand by the river's banks to meet him, and the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may indeed serve me in the wilderness, but indeed until now you will not, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be um, turned to blood. The fish that are in the river shall die, the river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses Say to Aaron, that's, that's interesting, you ought to circle that because God never speaks directly to Aaron. He always speaks through his prophet. Um, Take your rod, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their streams, over the rivers, over their, over their ponds, over all the pools of water that they may become blood. There shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died and the river stank and the Egyptians could not drink the water of the river so there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. So this is the first of what will end, end up being ten uh, different plagues. And we notice what the scripture says. All the waters were turned to blood. Uh, 
I have mentioned this a number of times when it comes to miracles. God is never opposed to using natural mechanisms, natural occurrences, natural law for that matter, to accomplish these plagues or other miracles which take place. Now, when we come to Christ, the miracles in the New Testament, what we have is a setting aside of physical laws. This could have been in conjunction with physical laws, but for whatever reason, the waters of uh, the Nile and the waters, all the fresh water there in Egypt turn uh, to blood. So these plagues that we read, and I'll show you a chart in the ne- on the next slide, but these plagues that we see here, they're all literal. There's no figment of the imagination. There's no allegory here, although there are reasons to think that they have some symbol. They are literal plagues. Um, and each plague points to a greater meaning than what actually is taking place. This gives us some pause. It aids our understanding about the plagues in Revelation. There are 21 total. There are the seven uh, trumpet judgments, the seven vile judgments, and then the seven bowl judgments. So these are not symbolic either. They are literal plagues. All the plagues that we read about here in Exodus, we read about in the, in the book of Revelation, things that accompanied perhaps the miracles of Jesus, all these are literal and they are to be taken as literal. And a lot of people stress over that, but as there's really no way to read into the scripture any other method than all the waters of Egypt turn to blood, period. So there's a strategy here that the Lord has, and the strategy is to break the will of Pharaoh. God is not opposed to breaking our wills. And certainly when he's dealing with a hardened sinner such as Pharaoh, he works to do that. And so he purposes to do this by attacking through the symbolism of the plague a prized Egyptian deity. Now, I had mentioned to you before that uh, Pharaoh and the Pharaohs that followed, not only this one, but the ones prior to him and the ones after him, uh, were considered uh, to be demigods. They were generally considered to be, if they were male, sons of God, sons of the gods. And this was carried forth not only from from Egypt, but into the uh, Assyrian and Babylonian uh, uh, pantheon, and then eventually into the Greek and the Roman pantheon. We see that even today. Astrology is nothing more than ancient pagan religion that uh, has been around for thousands of years. So be careful there. Uh, these plagues are men as punishment. There's no other way to take them. And they answer Pharaoh's original question way back in chapter 5 when he said, Who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let let Israel go? So the Lord sets about to, uh, to break the will of Pharaoh so that his people will be let go. Uh, specifically, the first plague was directed against the numerous Egyptian river deities, and there were many of them. Next slide, if you would. The Nile itself, is, <laughs> was he, should, should be was worshipped as a god by the Egyptians. Uh, and the Lord God shows that he has complete power over the Nile, 
And the, regardless of how many river gods they had, and they were numerous, they were not the ones that were responsible for uh, the bloody water. Uh, so when you, in this this is a little theology, but it won't hurt you. The plagues are described by cognate Hebrew words, in other words, linked words. So they continue from one, one plague to the other. Uh, and the literal meaning of the word plague means a blow or a stroke. And this blow, and this is similar, in fact, we didn't get that far this morning, but um, Peter talks about it in verse 20 of uh, uh, chapter 2. Uh, he's talking about uh, those that uh, would issue a blow or strike to the hand, we'll see it next Sunday morning. It is literally meant a bald fist against some unsuspecting part of another person's body. So each plague was as if God were to strike or beat a deity worshipped by the Egyptians. So obviously <laughs> there were no deities. So this is the Lord himself taking it upon himself to, through these types of events, to crush the spirit of Pharaoh in order that his people could be free. And God's not opposed to doing that. We'll see that in the book of Revelation. So the Egyptian god Kunum was said to be the guardian of the Nile. And what this demonstrated to these people, to the Egyptian people, was uh, that he was unable to protect his territory. If he is a guardian, his responsibility was to make sure that no one invaded, if you please, the Nile. The second god that is attacked here is the god Hapai, and he was said to be the spirit of the Nile. And so the spirit of the Nile now is brought low by the plague because... The waters themselves are, uh, are putrid, and they cause the fish to die. There's this great stink that comes up. So there's no purity remaining in the Nile. And then the great god Osiris. Uh, Pharaoh was considered a direct uh, descendant or direct prodigy, if you would, of Osiris. And Osiris was uh, one of the chief gods in the Egyptian pantheon. And it was said that Osiris had the Nile in his bloodstream, so it's interesting that what happens here, in this plague, his bloodstream truly bled. So this is just not some arbitrary, the Lord's sitting there saying, well, I just think I'll turn the water into blood. No, there's a purpose behind everything that God does. There's no randomness with God. Uh, there's a papyrus from this general period many, many years ago. The name of it is there, the um, uh, Apirwar papyrus. And in this particular uh, writing, it says the Nile was blood and undrinkable. So there was a reference here to what is taking uh, place in the Egyptian history. Next slide. All right, so the magicians copy the miracle. Uh, they copy it, but it doesn't eliminate it. The greatest miracle that they could have performed would, would have been to turn the uh, waters of the Nile and those 
fresh waters back to potable water, drinkable water. So they did dig, and they found fresh water uh, to replicate the Lord's plague upon the Nile, and then they turned this fresh water into blood, which to me, or to anyone that thinks, doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're surrounded by waters that are blood, why would you continue to turn waters into more blood? Uh, we never said that these men were the brightest lights on the Christmas tree anyway. So biblical scholars debate if this was a magician's trick or perhaps this was enchantments, uh, miracles from Satan. We, we don't know. It's really immaterial. Basically what's happening here is the Lord is sending uh, a very uh, despicable sign to Pharaoh and to the nation of uh, Egypt. They could have cleaned the, blood, cleaned the river again. They don't. And one of the reasons that they don't is because Satan never performs a, uh, <clears throat> a constructive cleansing miracle. Can he perform miracles? Yes. We'll see that in, uh, well, we see it back in Genesis 3, the serpent speaks. We see it in the book of Revelation. But none of the miracles that he performs are of the nature of the miracles that God's performed particularly when it comes to redemption. The greatest miracle of all time is not the crossing of the Red Sea in the Old Testament, nor the, the uh, vials or the trumpets or the bowls that are uh, contained in uh, the book of Revelation. It is the conversion of our wretched souls, and that required the blood of God the Son. So F.B. Meyer wrote, the alleviation of human suffering is not part or no part of the program of the devil of his angels. He is not interested in helping humanity at all. Uh, that can only come from Jehovah through the believing cry of his servants. So let us not be duped into thinking that anything good ever came out of Satan Lucifer, the devil, whatever you want to call him. The scripture says, again, Pharaoh's heart grew, dark, uh, grew hard. Uh, one way or another, regardless of what the Lord does until we get later into the series of plagues, the result is the heart of Pharaoh was the same. Eventually, Pharaoh does say, um, I have sinned. But it's just a generalized note. He doesn't repent. A lot of people that say, I have sinned, but they never repent. So that is a distinction between those that are true believers and those that say they're believers and do not have the grace of God in their heart or life. Next slide, if you would. So can you see this? Can you all see this? Oh, this is, this is, I'll have to modify this. Basically, let me do this. <clears throat> So there are ten slide or ten ten plagues from the water turned to blood all the way to the death of the firstborn. So what we can can you blow that up anyway? Can you double click on it? It may be an image. Uh, maybe not. Maybe it's embedded in there. It won't let you double click. I think it's an embed rather than a copy. <clears throat> the second. 
Oh, that's a little better. Okay. Line it over just a bit. The second one, of course, is frogs. Third one is lice, flies, the disease on cattle, what's called a murane in the King James Version, boils, personal, boils on people, hail that takes place. Uh, shift it up just a bit, brother, if you can. Other direction. There you go. Locust, darkness, death of the firstborn. Let's go back to the top. So the water turned to blood. You see here we've talked about uh, Kunum, uh, Hopi, and Osiris. These are the three main uh, Egyptian deities of the Nile. This particular one is it's uh, duplicated by the Egyptians. It occurs in Goshen where Israel was, and of course there was uh, uh, the, the smell, the horrible smell, of the dead fish. Now, as we go down, we see that the, and we'll use this time and time and time again as we go through, but from the frogs, we see that happy is, an, is also uh, a frog goddess that is brought to Egypt. Hect is a fertility goddess. The Egyptians thought that frogs, since they were so numerous in the, in the, in the Nile, that they carried um, uh, basically good luck. And they worshipped the frogs and they worshipped them through these particular gods. This one also is duplicated by the Egyptians. And this occurs in Goshen where the uh, Israelites live as well. Lice uh, was a direct attack on Seb, the earth god of Egypt. So... Uh, after these two, none of them can be duplicated. Uh, flies, uh, uh, Utchit is the fly god of Egypt. And because flies were involved in taking care of uh, decaying um, carcasses and matter and so forth, they were considered by the Egyptians to be wonderful creatures because they basically cleaned, they were very, they were very clean, clean people. We know from this passage that Pharaoh went down to the Nile to wash, just as his daughter did many, many years before when Moses was a child. So they were uh, thankful for the flies. He now begins to make a separation. God makes a separation between the Egyptians and the Israelites, and no more plagues would be in the land of Goshen. That would be the segregation that took place. And this happens because time and again, Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let you go. I'm going to harden my heart. Uh, the uh, plague on the cattle, there were four different uh, Greek gods that this, uh, not Greek, but Egyptian gods that uh, this uh, focused on, the disease the Egyptian gods were associated with bulls and cows, and again, uh, these were considered to be sacred creatures. Uh, it affects the property and the death of the livestock, the boils. Now we start to see attacks on physical human beings. Physical attacks on human beings. Here are the four 
just although they were attacks or they were plagues on uh, the surrounding matter, it did not immediately affect or was there suffering that took place on Egyptians themselves, but this changes. So you see the, the gods here. Uh, Serapis was another of the, the trinity of gods. Osiris was the first one, and then Serapis, and there's one more, uh, Isis. So this, this was the Egyptians' trinity, if you please. Uh, these were the Egyptian, god, god, the Egyptian goddess of epidemic, uh, epidemics and the gods of healing. And uh, these were uh, on the Egyptian people, the hail, which were these particular gods, Isis being the one that uh, was over agriculture and became, Osiris was one over the Nile, Isis was one over uh, the, uh, the land. And so there, is, there were lots of severe, very, very severe thunderstorms in uh, uh, Egypt. Here, because of what's, what takes place, he confesses his sin or he rep- or says that I, uh, I'm, uh, my sin has uh, uh, caught up with me, but he later changes his mind, as most people do. And then uh, locust. Again, Egyptian deity protected from locusts. He now begins to compromise. He confesses his sin, but he changes his mind. Uh, the one, the darkness, of course, which uh, shone over the land for a number of days. The sun gods, Ra, Amun-Ra, the Egyptian moon god, all of these were attacked. And then finally, of course, the... the uh, Passover, the death of the firstborn. So a purpose to everything that God did in these particular plagues to the people of Egypt. If you come to the book of of Revelation, beginning in chapter 6, you start to see the the trumpet judgments. Um, And from there, well, the bowl judgments, rather, then you see the, um, uh, the trumpet judgments and finally the vile judgments as these are, are poured out. And each one of these has a specific purpose and the writer, John, says they are poured out on the earth dwellers. I think I made this point before. They are poured out on those that choose to remain on earth. There's no transcendence. There's no love for God. There's only love for self. And, of course, when these things start to take place in the book of Revelation, uh, they call for the, for the mountains and the hills to fall on them, to hide them, even though they recognize there's a God. As the book of Romans says, they don't worship him as God. So how despicable is sin? It's pretty bad. So I'm going to stop here this evening, and then we'll pick up, I think uh, we'll kind of finish this out, and then we'll pick up in chapter 8 the next time we come together as we look at the second and third plagues, second, third, and fourth plagues. Any comments or questions tonight?
Let's pray. Father, as we look back thousands of years and see how you worked miraculously to free your people, we were reminded that it, it took time, obviously, for these things to play out, and that your people, I'm sure, were concerned that they didn't know or, or didn't uh, believe that you would eventually release them from Egyptian captivity. Remind us this evening as saved sinners that we have been released from the sins that easily beset us, that easily weigh us down, and strengthen us through your spirit as we go into our workaday worlds. Bless every family, every individual, every couple that is here tonight. In Jesus' name we make this prayer.